God, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mate Jamie's not here today, so I've, I've brought in some other fella. Um, so I'm joined today by Stephen Frost, who um, is a farmer among many other marvellous things, who runs Stone Mill Farm down at Narracup and um, is a, a farmer with a difference because he has developed a very interesting biological way of farming. So welcome, Stephen, and uh, to my little podcast. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm glad to be here. Marvellous. So just tell us a little bit about Stone Mill Farm just to set the background. Um, yeah, we're, we're in Narica. Um, mm-hmm. We run, it's a sheep farm, so mm-hmm. we run uh, prime lambs and wool. Um, and we've been there since 1979. Uh, so we're part of the locals now. Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it takes a while. Um, and we run about 1,500 ewes and... Uh, peak at about uh, maybe 3,000 ewes and lambs. Right. Um, we, we started a biological uh, farming process about 25 years ago. Oh, so you would have been the mad ones. Oh, absolutely. Were. And I still think we are a little. <laughs> <laughs> and it helps to be a bit mad. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you sort of, you don't think out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was it that sort of made you shift from what everyone else was doing in sheep farming down there to to what you do now? Look, I, I think there was many things. You know, I was I was I was pretty anxious. Well, firstly, farming. Te- what was going on in farming is the inputs tend to get more and more. So, you know, there was in the process of of the farm rather than you know, you think you're getting a, a good stable production based on the farm, the soil producing, you know, all the energy we need for the grass growth and everything. We just found we had to, in, in a way we were reactive, not proactive. That's probably the best way to put it. So, so we're always dealing with issues. And I, and, and I was thinking, well, why are we dealing with issues with all this sort of technology, if you like, in the Green Revolution, um, and yet we seem to have greater and greater problems? I think stock health was the main thing that I could see a deterioration in stock health in the way we were farming. And so we were conventional farmers. We were using the standard soluble fertilisers and silver mm-hmm. phosphates. And, and nitrogen, when we first started farming, was really starting to, to play part of it. And I, and I couldn't really understand why we would be having to nitrogen a farm when technically we could grow all the legumes and the nitrogen fixing plants and and the fact is that a good biological system produces immense amount of nitrogen. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like the chemicals. I'm not anti-chemicals. I think that's part of a tool. Um, but I didn't like the focus that we're becoming very chemical reliant. And, and I've always had an issue with chemicals right from when I was in my forestry days, when I was a forester prior to farming. Um, and so I was concerned about uh, not only animal health but human health, mm. and so that played a role. So yeah, and and I, I I couldn't see the benefits of what we were doing, and I, but I could see things deteriorating, and so I knew we had to change. Certainly, um, farm inputs. If you, if you look over the last twenty years, the cost of those inputs must have gone sky high. 
absolutely. Um, and when, when we first started farming, you know, superphosphate, which was the, you know, a, a necessary product because mm. we were so short on phosphorus in this country, in this mm. state really, particularly on the, sa- on the coast, on the sands. Um, yeah, well, that's what was going on. Inputs were increasing, but productivity particularly wasn't. So there was something going on and I, I didn't realise what it was at that stage. So I was really – so and if I reflect back, in, in the um, late 70s, early 80s, I hopped on an old motorbike and travelled around Australia and, and I sort of called it my sabbatical. Right, yeah. A- and and I, I worked on biodynamic, which was quite new at that stage, uh, permaculture. Permaculture oh, was very new. Seriously crazy people. Oh, absolutely. Um. um Organic farming, um, Yeomans and Wallace and, and the whole yep. things. And so there was no internet, there was no... So I would just rock up to farms that I'd heard that were practising differently and offer my labour. And so I spent seven or eight months doing that and, and it really opened my eyes, you know, um, not only to what was out there um, but what opportunities were there. And, and that was really the foundation to develop what we ended up developing with GrowSafe. Um, yep. And, and going on a very much biological approach. But in saying that, we also were middle of the road. You know, we, we, you know even though we were lumped in, in the weird basket, <laughs> um, but we understood that, you know, chemicals can have a role. Yeah. So we weren't anti-chemicals. We, you know, uh, we, we understood that, that that knowledge and practice, you know, there are a lot of things that you can take a bit of. So I, I, I was sort of... I was definitely holistic in my approach, but I was also, I didn't rule anything out, you know, and and in a way, I think part of that is I didn't, even though I was brought up on a farm, but it was a small farm, so I didn't, I didn't have, this is the tradition and this is what you do. Um, And so that, that played in really well to developing what we, what we've got now. So the the Grow Safe fertilizer is sort of a it's a very different approach to fertilizing on farms, isn't it? Because it's not so much about pouring nitrogen and phosphorus onto a plant. It's more about actually looking at what happens when you put fertilizer in the soil. So do you want to talk about that that you know the difference what is the difference with Grow Safe fertilizer as opposed to whacking on a whole, you know, ton of superphosphate look i think you know probably stepping back a bit you know you know i realized that well firstly nutrition was number one as an animal farmer and my mum taught me that she was a very successful stud person and and so she and she used to tell me that it's 75 percent nutrition and 25 percent genetics and Ah. and and so that always stuck in my mind and so it was all about nutrition but i also understood that the soil was alive it's a living identity and, and we have this beautiful opportunity with nature to encourage nature to, to help us with our productivity and our farming and, and so I decided that, that really my attitude was the soil's alive and we've got to treat it like that and it is my number one asset and, it, and, and this is my attitude from right from the beginning. So I didn't understand biology, I didn't mm. understand minerals. Right. Other than, yes, we needed phosphorus, we needed uh, selenium and cobalt and, and there's plenty of history on the south coast of those deficiencies and farming being totally unsuccessful without those, those minerals. But I also wondered how 
why, like the Egyptians, for instance, and I and I often refer to the Egyptians, is that there's a civilization that had farmed for thousands of years. Yes, they cultivated. Yes, they had droughts and had issues like everything. But they were so successful that they could build pyramids. Yeah. They had so much time on their hand. Their food was so good. And I also knew that the Roman interaction with the Egyptians was about the quality of grain grown on a, the Nile Delta, a floodplain. So like your mum said, genetics. Ge- yes. Well, it was genetics, but it was the mineralisation. So, mm. so floodplains by nature are... Uh, coming from mountains, yeah. silts full of minerals. Yep. So here's, here's a, a society, a civilization that was amazing enough to not only to build these massive structures, but to build these massive structures, you had to have plenty of time and plenty of good nutrition. And the Romans realized that their army could march on half a cup of wheat from the Nile, where they took a cup of wheat from their own growing in, you know, in Italy. And, and, all, and so I suddenly realised that mineralisation and minerals were actually a key part. And, and so then that developed on what type of minerals. And um, it wasn't until later that I sort of started to understand biology in the soil and how important that is as a driver. Um, but I did, you know, we have rumen animals and we know that they're called rumens because of, it's pretty much the nature of their gut bacteria. And we yep. understood that the bacteria... So in a way, I treated, understood the soil to be like a gut. Right. And, and, and so the main driver wasn't chemical but biological. And that's what stimulated me. So I thought, okay, how are we going to get these minerals? And, and so in my travels in the early days, I heard of the, the – they were rock minerals. Yep. You know? So yep. they are ground-up rock minerals. Yep. Probably a little bit, you know, simplistic – particularly because we're chasing, you know, we all have to make a profit. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, With farming, you know, you can have all the best intentions, but unless you make a profit, you're not going to be there, you know, in 10 years' time. But in saying that, we also had to make sure that that we improved our production for the next generation. And and so that sort of brought, I always called it the triple bottom line, you know, so we had a, as farmers, we have a, an environmental responsibility. So I, it's not just about our farm. Mm. It's what we do on our farm that affects the Wilson Inlet or any inlet, eutrophication. Um, if you use a lot of chemicals, what are we doing to our neighbours? You know, uh, we have the vineyards, even though they use a lot of chemicals, but you know, what are, what are, what's our impact to our neighbours and what's our impact? So environmental impact was important even though it is something that, you know, didn't reward me at all, but it's an attitude. The other thing is I felt we had a responsibility to produce good quality food. And that that's actually really interesting because that's a big – that's quite a big topic these days and certainly, um, you know, younger parents are really concerned about the the nutrient density of the food we eat and – and whether we are actually getting nutrients from the food that we eat. So that's a, that's a really important factor to, to look at when you're farming, I would think, is, you know, we think about the food that we eat, but of course you're, you've got sheep, so you need to think about the nutrients that are actually going into the sheep. 
Absolutely. And look, having animals is a great lesson. Mm. And it really doesn't matter if you've got a, a pet, a dog, or, you know, you, you can... W- what I liked about having animals is you could see in the animal, the result of your animal reflected how you're managing your farm, mm. how you're managing your soil, you know, what your disease level is, what, you know, the lambing percentages or fecundity and the age of the animal. You know, how, how long is that animal productive? And it's not in a sort of a, a factory sense. I'm talking about, you know, a healthy animal, a happy animal is more productive. Yeah, absolutely. A- and so that's and, right. And tastier, I have to oh, say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so the mineralisation was one thing. Um, and the more I looked at the mineralisation and did what sort of research I could, and in those days, my research was like with the Melbourne Library because there's nothing you could Google. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's course. no facts. Yeah. You know, um, there was, it was, you know, if you want to talk to mum and dad, it was reverse charges on the phone once a month <laughs> while you're travelling. So, so I did a lot of studying in the Melbourne Library just as a uh, thing. And I, and I was looking at minerals and what research. And, and then I dived, and I'm getting back a bit here, but then I dived further into say permaculture yep and then i started looking at the reference books of permaculture biodynamics and the reference books are absolutely amazing well they were all scientists weren't they oh, absolutely actually, yeah absolutely and 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 so and so you you know bill mollison summarized that and developed a really interesting system mm. um and i think it's a very valid system but i just think it's also part of um of just the learning and understanding what was behind those systems. And, and I got more out of the reference books than I did actually out of the system. Oh, okay. But so getting back back to the, the minerals, and, and look, there's 60 or 70 minerals. We don't really understand the interaction of the minerals in our body other than the research now is showing that nearly every mineral ha- plays a role in our health in some way or another. Right. I mean, minerals like germanium, like people go, what the heck's germanium? Nickel. Yep. You know, these are yep. it's, not, it's not the NPK of fertiliser. Yep. It's not a bit of copper and zinc, even though they're all absolutely important. There's a whole bunch of other minerals that play a crucial role, albeit in such minute parts. But without it, you can end up with major issues in stock. You might have all the majors covered and you might have one mineral that's not there. Right. And in... In pasture production, it could be molybdenum, which you need a teaspoon a hectare. Right, oh, right. Uh, you know, sort of thing. So not a lot. But not a lot. But without it, your legumes really struggle to nodulate yeah. and other things. Yeah. So, so part of that nutrient density in food was that that was my social responsibility, mm-hmm. is to produce good food. I was very concerned about the high use of chemicals yep. in the food, and I think that's coming to play a lot more. Definitely. A lot more people are. Yeah. Um, so that was more of the social side. And, of course, there was the economic side. Mm. And I was determined, even though I was labelled as a, you know, the also ran. around so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is that I believe that I could, I could actually make more money per hectare. And so one of, one of my processes was on the farm, and I needed to develop GrowSafe to do this on the farm, was actually prove that we're actually more profitable yeah we, we could improve organic matter levels in the soil um, we can improve our productivity and not continually just to, to do that by massive inputs yeah um, 
And yeah, so that was that that process. So GrowSafe developed. Uh, you know, I read a book called Bread from Stones, which was developed, which was written by a chemist actually in the eighteen nineties in Germany. And interestingly enough, in the process of developing GrowSafe and the company and the manufacturing and the recipes, we employed microbiologists and soil chemists. So here's me, just a farmer. <laughs> Started to <laughs> on really a steep, steep learning curve, though. <laughs> yeah, a massive learning curve because yeah. we were employing biologists that we wanted, who who were, I- were passionate about what we were talking about, but mm. they are fully qualified biologists that knew a lot about mycorrhizal fungi, yeah, yeah, or a soil chemist. That and when we employed these people, because I was paying them, I could say, right, you people got to talk. And so suddenly the biologist was talking to the chemist who was talking to the soil geologist, which is a really interesting th- uh, person. Yeah. And, and all these pennies started to drop. Oh, I didn't realise that. So the soil chemist, oh, I didn't realise that. And the biologist goes, oh, right, okay. And, and that, that brought us forward exponentially. So that's, that's actually looking at a, a whole system and how everything within that actually fits into that system, which is quite a different way of, of traditional farming, really, because oh, yeah. Look, we, you're looking at all the factors involved there. Absolutely. You've got to be holistic. And even though it's been banded around and, you know, power holistic people are, you know, get caged in that corner again, but you have to be holistic. You know, look, and, and frankly, we're dealing with a lot of things that we don't, stu- don't understand. It's... Mm. I just heard recently there's two and a half, they believe there's two and a half million fungis mm. and we know 250,000. Yeah. And probably out of those 250,000, we don't know much about them, but we know them. Well, it's interesting that soil science is a reasonably new science, isn't it? Like it's, it's in, in terms of a, a field of study now, you know, it's only in the last 50 years that it's it's been sort of a... a, a proper science degree that people look at and we don't you're right we only i think we only understand about a tenth of what happens in soil if if we're lucky if that because because if you start looking at the interaction between minerals and fungi and bacteria and algae you know you're starting to talk about this immense relationship and i'm nowhere near smart enough and and unfortunately the sciences which i have a lot of respect and GrowSafe did an immense amount of research and employed scientists because I, I wasn't in this to make money out of GrowSafe. I was in this for a passion to be actually to to produce really good food sustainably. Yeah, I pr- improve the environment. I'm, I've been always very passionate about that ever mm. since I was a kid. You know, I try to stick bark back on ring bark trees and do weird <laughs> stuff like that. But it, that was what led me to forestry, I suppose. <laughs> Forestry. Yes, yes, which <laughs> yeah, is clear falling. Um, taking a lot of bark off the trees <laughs> uh, in one way or another. But it's that, it's that sort of passion. But I, I really – look, I think the, the living system is so complex um, and, and to try to, to – un, unfortunately, one of the issues I have <coughs> excuse me, with research is that it is very reductionism and they have to. Mm. You know that it's very difficult to take all of these, ish, all of these um, <coughs> factors factors into place and try to develop a trial. 
So you've got to reduce it down to a very, very small level. And, and, and it's valid. I'm not knocking it, you know, yep. because we are very research-oriented. Um, but I also understood that the living world, uh, you know, um, the living soil is, you know, if you give it hopefully the right inputs and you, and you, and you try not to damage it, it will function itself. You don't have to know it all because we never will. And if we keep researching the way we do, we will only still find tippets and we don't – snippets and we don't understand that interaction with something else. And I certainly don't. But being a practical person, the results – we had to be results-oriented, but the results were happening in the field. Right. For me, ag science is about improving agricultural production. And yet there is a lot of farmers out there who are doing it very differently, even though it might not be scientifically proven, but it is, it is practically proven, right. meaning they are improving organic matter in the soil. They are improving you know, lambing percentages, the things that we – our benchmarks. Um, they're doing all these things. You might have some sustainable measures. For me, it's organic matter in the soil – um, it's productivity per hectare. There's some, you know, but at the end of the day, it's really relative. So I feel science is very relative, mm. but also practical experience should hold up pretty evenly. Yeah, because that that is what we're about at the end of the day. And and you have to have sort of an expectation of some outcome at at the end, like a positive outcome at the end of that. I just want to go back to the to the Grow Safe Fertiliser because it's, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's got a lot, of, a lot of minerals in it, but it's, but it's also, uh, I want you to talk a little bit about the, the microbial bacteria and fungi that is actually attached to it as well. Oh, look, the... Um the, you're right. The, the minerals, the first thing we did was the minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, the microbes came a bit later when we employed a microbiologist and we, we started getting our head around, getting our head around a bit. Um, what happened more recently, the technology of um, preserving microbes, the freeze-drying technology took off. Right. So really an opportunity came along where we could apply fungis, mycorrhizal fungi specifically, because mm-hmm. that's such a, a well-known and such an important aspect, a bunch of different bacteria, some algaes and whatever, that, that we could either we could put into the soil um, successfully because of that freeze-dry technology. Okay. Um, on top of that, the next thing we had to do is successfully get those not only do we want them to get into the soil but we want them to survive in the soil right okay so 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 part of that was the grow safe developed the the the, the stickers i suppose you'll say which could add the microbes to seed ah. which were in a spore form or yep. a freeze dried form so they're yep. actually in suspension and then they and and then to get them to survive in the soil and the the sticker technology was really interesting. Right. And that was very much developed by our soil chemist and our microbiologist. Um, and what it does is you add these microbes in their spore form or in their freeze-dried form to this organic oil. Yeah. 
um, and it is a saponified oil, but in, in, in essence what it does, as soon as it gets in contact with soil moisture, the oil dissolves, exposes the microbes to water. Right. And they activate. Right. And, and in the research that GrowSafe do, and, I, and I'm guessing a bit here, but it's at least 30 sets of trials over 15, 16 years, and some of them we conducted with the UWA, yeah. Agricultural Department, all of them we did independently, we managed independently because we needed to use this data because on the other side, GrowSafe also, to spend all this money on, this, on these experts, yeah. to build a plant that could make the minerals was, you know, multi-million dollar exercise. Yeah. So we needed good data. Right. Not only to develop the process but also so we could sell fertiliser yeah. and that's yeah, the reality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so that was a breakthrough for the, for the minerals, for the microbes. Mm-hmm. Then we started to understand that the minerals aren't just about for the plants and us, they're also about for the microbes. And then we started to understand that it's not particular. It's the type of mineral too. You, you know, you you can have a carbonate mineral or a silicate mineral or a you know uh, in a more of a rock natural form, or you can have a sulfate mineral, which is a process mineral, which is a more of a, a chemical mineral, but even though it's a mineral base. Yep. So that was really critical to our understanding, and and get a better picture of what the microbes really related to. Yeah. And we and we really found that. The minerals, the microbes related and interacted with, if you like, with the natural minerals, not the processed minerals so much. Right. Okay. I mean, copper is so is critical for a lot of microbes as well, but copper sulfate is also a fungicide. Yes. And and so that whole there was a whole understanding that we had to come through. So we realised that the the microbes were absolutely critical with the minerals to get the performance that we did. And uh, there are many, many trials where the microbes continually, the application of microbes can con- continually showed a yield advantage. They continually showed a, a lot bigger root development um, and just a whole pile of positives, you know, larger roots. Um, in the, uh, years ago, they said, oh, large roots are hopeless because they just use more energy and you're not getting less crop. But of course... Larger roots mean they can access nutrients. They can access more water. That the plants become more drought resistant, and also stronger in the ground, particularly in areas of Western Australia where wind plays a real factor on on crops. I mean, if you've got larger roots, you're an- anchored into the ground a bit better, and you're building up carbon. Yeah, you're building up soil organic matter. Yeah, and you build up soil organic matter, you build up microbial numbers. Yeah, and microbial masses is really important. And and our farm, we've done many microbial tests on our farm, are really through the roof. Yeah. You know, they, they have, you know, these dashboard things and they're all as if you're doing 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and, and that's one thing that I could say. It, the microbial numbers and diversity reflected our yield better than a conventional soil test. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm. So, so it's still, it's absolutely profitable to... To, to actually farm in this way. Oh, totally. And it's something that I wanted to prove. Mm. And not, not just for anybody else, but for us, that I was on the right track. You know, I wasn't just chasing something. And, and, and it had to be yield and it had to be net return. And in a way, it's, yield is, can be a bit of a furphy because as a farmer, it's also about what, 
what you're going to make per hectare. Yes. That's, that's yeah. your livelihood. Yeah. You can have a fantastic yield and you make $10 a hectare or you have a bit less yield and make $100 a hectare. Well, I think most farmers will pick the $100. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that was really interesting. And, um, and the mineralisation was really interesting. And, that, and that's, you know, we've done a lot of tests now on produce tests on the okay. mineralisation. You know, yep. And um, there's a lot of reports like our food is really deficient in minerals, which it is, mm. you know. Mm. You know, reports are, and mineral tests have been conducted for accurately the same way as we do now for 50 or 80 years. It's not like, oh, well, the technology is better now. Uh, we can test things. That sort of testing has been around a long time. Right. And, and so that's why we know that the mineral density of our food is very low. And so for us, I wanted to improve our mineral density of our food, which is a health component, and I see it in our stock. Right. Um, look, the average age of a productive ewe in Western... I'll talk about Western Australia, but yeah, it's pretty much yeah. Australia, is four and a half to five and a half years old. Right. Well, we take our ewes to eight and a half and nine and a half years old productively. Wow. Our lambing percentages, you know, it's hard to get state averages, but I, I know it's about 90, 95%, which is a lot better than it was some years ago. Well, we're in merinos, we're sitting around 125 to 130%. So we, we had a market increase in our fecundity mm. and, and, and a market increase in the age longevity, yep. which interestingly enough for sheep used to be the case. Okay. You know, sheep were culled a lot older in the old okay. bygone yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though you think, well, you know, there weren't the mineralisation, but what happens in farming, particularly on poor soils like we really face in Western Australia, is the early farming, once they understood the few deficiencies like selenium and cobalt and, and a few others, they actually were, high, were quite mineralised. Oh, so our, okay. it's our farming process where we might use super, you know, uh, um, superphosphate and uh, a, a few elements out of many where you can draw down on all these other minerals right. and end up with – it might not come as an actual deficiency in stock, but it does come in a productivity loss. Um, and I, I, So we're sitting here on the farm producing these sheep, carrying a certain stocking rate. We don't didn't really know how we compared with district average yeah. <clears throat> until the federal government put out some grants to look at carbon sequencing on farms. Right. And our farm was one of the farms that was chosen. And so they have it, had an independent study um, because we, ha we have been recording increasing carbon in our soils over the last, since we've been really monitoring it, probably 10 to 15 years. But uh, we're up by 1%. It doesn't sound a lot, but it is quite significant. So our soils are sitting at 7, 7.5% organic matter. Right. And, and what was really interesting is when, when they... When they were doing these studies, I had no idea how we managed, uh, how we were in district average. So they came onto the farm, they assessed what our product productivity was, what our lambing percentages was, what our carrying capacity was. And the report came out and we were nearly double district practice. Oh, really? Yeah, and that really shocked me. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, when they talk about an area, they talk maybe like our shires, Plantagenet Shire. So you're dealing with a higher rainfall area and okay. a lower rainfall area. Yep. 
but it was fantastic to know that. Yeah. But our productivity was there, but a big thing was was our profitability was there because our inputs were reduced. We we don't do supplement minerals. Right. We don't um, – our, our drenching program changed. But part of that was because, you know, I'll do worm egg counts and I actively try to manage that. Yep. So we found that we had a, a higher stocking rate, certainly higher lambing percentage, which I knew because I knew what the state averages were for merinos. Yep. Um, and just that whole productivity, our fodder productivity, we test fodder, we, you know, we're up in the top two grades for protein and metabolising energy and mineralisation. Uh, we're up to three times as high in mineralisation of our, of our fodder yep. compared to, to other, other fodders that have been tested. Right. So that, that's when we started to really look at what we're doing and how we compared because at, at that stage, it, before that, it wasn't a great interest. There, was, there wasn't a lot of information. So I'm going to bring you back to uh, the home garden because, of course, that's where my passion is. And um, it's fantastic that you've, you know, the home gardener can actually access the GrowSafe fertiliser now. They don't have to buy, you know, 20 tonne of it uh, <laughs> to, to spread on their little 400 square metre block. So do the same principles i mean i've that's the only fertilizer i've used in my garden now for the last eight nine years and i certainly and i live on gutless coastal sandy soil and it's made an enormous difference to to my garden um so it's good that the home gardener can actually access this fertiliser in a, in a more manageable bag, should we say, Stephen? So the principles are the same. Are oh, identical. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's look. We we just talk about it as mineralisation. Um, interestingly enough, the mineral fertilisers are alkaline, not acid. Right. So that 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 in itself plays an important role. Mm. Um, and and we needed to stick our bugs or our bacteria and fungi and everything to the fertiliser, well, you can't it's, – it's not successful sticking it to an acid fertiliser. Like, right. You know, superphosphate and, you know, most of the chemically synthesised fertilisers. But in saying that, we still use some of those fertilisers. It's, 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 it's a bit it's – there's a middle of the road, you know. Mineralisation is critical for plant health, but specifically animal and human health. Yep. Um, the, bar, the, the interaction between biology and minerals and soil is how plants naturally uptake their nutrients. Yep. So yep. the biology is just so important. So really, as fundamental as it sounds, we, we looked at, at what type of minerals and we wanted, if you like, fundamental minerals more than sulfates. So we wanted unprocessed minerals, but we also used some sulfate minerals. It's a, you know, a bit of a... Yeah. The both. Yep. But we also wanted minerals that had a positive effect on the on the soil biology. Because that's the driver. Yep. I, I mean we now look look at, you know, now gut biology, they're now realizing Oh, it's huge. It is. It, yeah. And, and it, you know, they start you know, they're still talking as they were actually bacteria with a human face. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, so I think I think for me it was the realization that the natural system can be enhanced, but we just 
got to watch what we do to the soil. Yeah. It's a living identity. And, and you know, we, I'm no near smart enough. Is there's so many combinations of minerals, there's so many combinations of biology, you know, there's millions of, of um, what are they, fungi. Fungi, you know, yeah, fungi, you know, there's it, absolute, absolute billions. And, yeah. and it's impossible really to take all that into account to, to try to develop a, a fertiliser or a program on a farm. Yeah. So our attitude was we'd be as gentle as we can and, and the process of remineralization is important. So a lot of the minerals are all minerals. They might mm-hmm. be finely crushed, and yep. but they're all minerals. And so that's where GrowSafe really came from um, and the, the biological interaction. So we, we can put the, the microbes on the GrowSafe fertiliser, the mineral yep. fertiliser, yep. And enhance and grow those microbes where we couldn't do it on a single super no, fertilizer. No, no, no. Um, so I, I think soil health and everything for us derived through mineralization and the aspect of biology, and that's where GrowSafe came through. And, yeah. and we did an immense amount of trials. So, you know, we didn't want to be a, you know, it's for us it wasn't about selling a heap of fertilizer. We wanted to make a difference in in in, in our environmental health and our human health. Yeah, because you're in a big catchment area down there where your farm is and there's, you know, it's vitally important that there's not that fertiliser runoff going into the waterways where you are. Everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's really everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we do have a responsibility to manage that. Um, and, and it's not about just putting more nitrogen on, on to get more growth. Yeah. Um, no, we have to. We have to be. Look, at the end of the day, you know, we all want to make a profit. We all want mm. to make a living, mm. but we also have a responsibility to the planet. Yes, uh, yeah. It's it's and a shame, Stephen, that there aren't a, a big mob of the population that uh, have the same sentiment. So, as a as a home gardener, like I grow, um, I'm in the city, so I can't have a massive garden but I try and grow as much as I can and I've got a lot of fruit trees so the the reason I use the grow safe fertilizer apart from the fact that it builds up soil biology but if I'm growing my own food I want to know that I'm getting as much nutrient density in the food that I grow because when I eat it it actually goes into my body as well. And I have to say the dog's looking pretty healthy for 14 years age, so she gets it as well. Um, And I think that's becoming a huge concern with people now is that what is in our food and what's it grown in. So your, your farm is... Well, you open it up sometimes to workshops, don't you? So... People oh, we can have had uh, you know, hundreds of people over come the through. 16 years. Um, and, look, and, and scientists from UWA, um, and some of the comments are this doesn't compute, you know, because our productivity, you can't... The beauty of farming is that the productivity is in your face, you know. You, you can say, well, the research, you know... You've got to remember if you if you research if you narrow your research down too fine it might be relative but on a sense that there's so many things going on on the farm in the soil on the plants and everything mm. else it's mm. very hard mm. 
So no, and and we have opened our farm up, and and it is amazingly productive, um, and and that's in a way that's been the best thing for us is it makes us it's, I don't know it's uh, yeah it feels like we've achieved something yeah uh, even though we have a lot of protractors um, you know we use a lot less soluble fertilizer we still use some soluble fertilizers yep. we still yep. use some soluble phosphates but it's a combination it's not we don't rule out anything. Really? Well, there's never one one factor alone that solves the problem, is there? No. So it's that. But we do understand, and the and the work that GrowSafe has done in the trial work, we do understand that when you start using overusing chemicals, and I'll say that even though we don't use any fungicides or insecticides on the farms, mm-hmm. herbicides we do use, but it's a fairly much a last resort. Um, you know we. You know, we want a healthy living system and we, we don't th- – there's a lot more research coming out on the negatives of running a, a total soluble fertiliser, high chemical input system. Yeah. I think you're right about food quality. I think there's plenty of data to show that, that our food quality is quite a lot poorer. But we've got to watch out for toxins. And, and so and I was very anxious about the level of chemical in food and I think that's cu- – that's oh, playing out. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the majority of the population are now really concerned what's actually sprayed on the food. And then for all the um, hipsters out there that don't have a garden or don't have um, even a balcony garden, the most exciting thing for the hipsters is that GrowSafe are going to actually bring out an indoor plant fertiliser as well. That's which, brilliant. Which is fantastic. Yeah. And that's it. For me, it's really exciting to see so many younger people in particular that have got into nature through indoor plants. So, and there's no difference whether you grow your own food or you've got a philodendron inside the house. You know, they, but the, and they, they give all their indoor plants names as well they're, because they're part of the family of the house. So, you know, there's many people that would want to do the right thing ecologically. You know, if you get rid of that potting mix or that fertiliser, you don't want it going into, into the waterways. So it's, it's amazing that you've, you've got a product that will go over a, a hectares to a philodendron in a 130ml pot. Um, so that's, that's pretty damn exciting. That's a big range there, Stephen. Look, it is, but nature's funny, you know. Well, it's not funny; it's amazing, really. But it, it's it's all much the same, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. It might be a philodendron, or it it might be a ryegrass in our paddock, or an orange, or a grape, or whatever. That whole process is the same. Still the same. It's the same, and and they're biological. Mm. We're biological, mm. and and I think, you know, albeit we don't say no to chemical, but we try to look at it in a in a holistic more of a holistic way and say, well, what are the secondary issues potentially? Yeah, <laughs> and that and that it is quite big and and so you know I I like to know if I let's say I do use a, a chemical spray or I'm using some soluble phosphate which mm-hmm. we do yeah as I say market we reduce we use a lot less P right. than the average person yep. in our situation and get higher productivity, um, is what is the effect of that on the soil? What's the effect on the living 
fraction of the soil and and the living fraction is absolutely amazing it's i just can't get my head around it really Mm. but we just gotta we're all living the soil's living Mm. and we've got to treat it the same and and so when we use chemicals we just got to be really aware of it i'm not saying don't use chemicals i'm I'm just saying just be aware of it when you use soluble fertilizers that you use too much of and it leaches into the environment and causes ongoing issues elsewhere, then we have to be responsible for that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I, you know, I've, I, am a l- I think the industry has been driven, unfortunately, by the big chemical players. Yes, yeah. And, and, and we see that everywhere. And people are becoming a lot more aware of it, which is great. And that's where change will come. Yep. What, what I'm saying is, and, and Grow Safe is part of that, but in, in a philosophical point of view, is we need to work with the environment. Yes. We want a healthy environment because no healthy environment, there's no way we can be healthy because we're actually part of it. We're not, a, we're not, we're not, we're not sort of aloof from the some, environment. Some organism that's <laughs> completely... Well, we could yeah. have come from Mars. Oh, maybe, we could. But, we could. But still, it's an well, we'll know soon because apparently we're heading up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, we need we need to, you know, living things are precious, and it and it and it goes right down to that bacteria or that fungi or that spider or yeah. and all those things. And you know, yes, we have to manage some of them, but you know, soon as soon as you interfere with a natural environment with a, a little bit of knowledge, even though it might be science. You don't know the consequences to the rest, and I think that's really important. Mm. And so we go the softly, softly approach. But what what's been exciting for me, even though it's been a pretty stressful twenty odd years, and developing this because you you sort of hang your you know oh, your, yeah. your life out in the limb a bit, yep. um, was that the reason why a lot of people like coming to our farm is is it, it has a lot of energy but we do a lot of things we plant lots of trees and we do rushes and dams and we do it's not just about you know you know growing lots growing of pasture sheep, to sheep mm. but we are so productive mm. and and we do it very economically it is a very profitable farm um and and i think if you start working a little bit with nature and I think you get that, and it, and it's not being boxed one thing or another. I'm not, I'm not organic. Yeah. I, I'm not knock, I'm not knocking any of this, by the way. Mm. You know, I'm yeah, not yeah. organic. I'm not full on chemical. Yeah, there's a middle of the road, but the soil's alive, yeah. and we must treat it like that. It is not a medium to grow a plant in, which I was taught, which is the way farming have, has gone in it's many gone. aspects. Mm. You know, you can gain yield. By farming in a more environmental way, yeah. you know, and hopefully not being labelled as some greenie. <laughs> guess what? You know, you know we well, grow sheep yeah. and we eat them. And <laughs> I know, and yeah. I have actually uh, enjoyed some of your sheep. Well, Stephen, I think. Um, well, I know actually that you have been uh, an enormous inspiration for a lot of farmers who have the same concerns that you do and leading by example and then opening up your farm so that people can actually see it uh, how how it how it really does work so thank you so much for coming up on and joining me on my podcast and i hope that may grow safe live long and and you can buy a um a new tractor next year uh thank you so much Stephen. it's been wonderful interviewing you
Thank you very much, Sabrina. It's been an absolute pleasure.